Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm excited today to be joining a colleague, Gabrielle Jimenez. Hi, Gabby. Hi. Gabby goes by the Hospice Heart on Facebook and her website, and we'll talk more at the end about how you can reach Gabby and follow her. She's just a wealth of information, a warm-hearted hospice nurse who's really kind of taken to the you know, taken to Facebook to share what she knows with people. And I'm just so excited to be talking with her today. Well, thank you. It's kind of exciting to be here. I mean, we we went through classes together. We've gone on this journey together. So to be at this point is really kind of fun. It's amazing. I mean, you, you, yeah, it's amazing. Why don't you start by, why don't you introduce yourself? Kind of what's your background? How did you get into end-of-life education? Why is this your passion? Well, um, in my first book, Soft Landing, I talk about that because it is kind of, um, it's a little interest. I think it's interesting. You know, um, I was managing commercial real estate for most of my life. And then I moved into safety. It kind of hit right around 9-11 where we didn't have safety plans in our commercial projects. So I helped kind of initiate that. And then I got more involved in safety and construction and big steel buildings and just was big into safety. And then I I was working with the company and I got them up to their, the numbers were good and they were able to not, you know, they didn't need a safety engineer anymore. So I was laid off. And it was during that time that my friend was dying and his wife asked if I could come and just sit with him and care for him while she worked. So I did. And I was, well, I watched the hospice people come in and I thought to myself, these are, and I get it now why people say that you're angels. We don't think of ourselves that way. And we actually are uncomfortable when people say that, but I thought they were angels. They were so gentle with him and they honored and respected him in a way that I was super drawn to. And so I decided I, I need to do this work. So I started and here I am mid forties and went to school to be a CNA and then a, an HHA. So I was a caregiver, a home health aide. And I worked in that field for a little while and I took on a couple, they were both in their eighties and I realized just how much um, they didn't know how much families don't know about navigating age and decline. And so I decided to go back to school to be a hospice nurse because as they declined, I wanted to be able to help them. And I went back to school in my forties, which was super hard. And um, in fact, many times I wanted to quit and almost failed. And, um, but I didn't, I worked really hard and I decided that becoming a hospice nurse was exactly what I want to do. They don't teach hospice in nursing school. They don't really teach end of life. So it was kind of weird. It was like, I was getting a license to do something I wanted to do, but I had absolutely no tools to do it. And one of my first jobs was with a a skilled nursing facility who did not take very good care of their patients. So I walked out, which I'm still a little embarrassed about because that's not who I am, but I wanted to stand up for them. They have since changed their ways because I was very vocal about it, but um, they're wonderful now. So I need to say that. But I wrote the book Soft Landing because I wanted people to know that you could do anything if you work hard you shouldn't ever expect things to be handed to you for free, right? You have to work hard. And and the working hard part is what makes it taste so good. When I walked across that stage, 
I felt like 20 feet off the ground. I thought I did this. And then one of my most important jobs was working for a hospice company, which I'm still with now, but I was working in their hospice house. I ended up managing it for a couple of years. And that's where my lessons came from. We had 10 beds, 10 different types of patients in and out very quickly. It was a very much of a revolving door, unfortunately, but that's the nature of the beast. I learned about the team, you know, how the hospice team works together. I learned about end of life care and how to, to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. And I, I learned about love and life and culture and faith and all the things that happen in life and, and death and what that means. And so that was just, that was like the fire that lit me up and I've just taken it and gone. And now I'm, I'm a full-time hospice nurse, an end-of-life doula, a conscious dying educator. And I think if someone said, so like, what's your goal? My goal is to help improve the way we care for people who are dying, but also people who are grieving. So gorgeous. I had forgotten that that was a really a midlife change for you. So you full-on went back to nursing school. And full on then within nursing school, was there a specialty for hospice nursing or you just, you just got a nurse nurse degree. I just, I just did it to get my nursing with the, the complete intention of being hospice. I never wanted to do anything else. I didn't want to work with kids. I didn't want to work in med surge, although I do love the skills in med surge, but I didn't, I didn't want to do ICU. I didn't want to do home health. I wanted to work in hospice. I wanted to work with people who were declining and dying because I I wanted to make it different. In fact, I call it soft landing because that was always my goal. I want their landing to be soft. I love that. And I love that you had such clarity. I think that's an inspiration to probably people going into nursing school that they could have that kind of clarity. Absolutely. You just sort of had to get on the job training by working in a hospice facility. When, when you were working there versus managing there, like even when you were managing it, were you still working pretty closely with clients? Absolutely. In fact, that I really just worked. I mean, I worked always. I was very hands-on but I didn't do it alone. And that's really important. I think that that was very humbling for me that I I needed to remember that this was not about me, that I'm a part of a team and learning that is not easy. I was always been so independent and a little, maybe even selfish. That is my patient. No, Gabby, that is not your patient. That is our patient. Say a little bit more about the team, because I'm guessing that the number one person on the team is the patient. Totally. Um, so the team hospice in general comes with a doctor, a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, a home health aide, and a volunteer. And they work collaboratively to reduce symptoms, to provide support and comfort, and to help both the patient and their, the people who love them how to navigate that journey. And we do work as a team, and it is not a solo act. And, and that's really important for people to understand because while there might be one person on that team that you gravitate towards most, we, we work collaboratively. And, and that is one of the gifts of hospice. And I think that's the misconception out there is people see hospice as death. Well, of course it is because you go on hospice because you have a terminal diagnosis. 
But from my perspective, hospice is not a diagnosis. Hospice is a plan of care for the diagnosis. So if you start early on and you start with this team, there are so many different things that they can offer to reduce the fear and uncertainty and to remind you that you are not alone. So beautiful. And as well as reducing pain, which I know a lot of people have enormous amount of fear about. And I hear over and over again that people say, we wish we'd called in hospice sooner. But I think it's so, it's such a, mm, it's such a um, conundrum that our society somehow sees calling hospice as a failure. You know, we see death as a failure instead of seeing it as this opportunity for people to come together. As you said, the team can support you and the team can support your family and loved ones as well as the person who's dying. There can be this enormous opening, I think, at that time. Absolutely. And I think that people, they don't want to get on hospice because they think that their loved one might die sooner. You don't die sooner because you're on hospice. In fact, many times you have a little bit more quality of life because you are managing your symptoms, right? Someone can come on with severe pain and and anxiety and restlessness, and we can maybe help ease that a little bit. And if we do, you might have a little longer. That doesn't always happen. You know, we can't predict that. But to have that team starting earlier can can actually bring, I think starting earlier is the difference between pain and peaceful. And, Mm -hmm. And again, it doesn't always happen that we are not, you know, we can't wave a wand, you know, we, we have to work hard and we do everything that we can to eliminate the suffering. And sometimes things go quickly and sometimes things linger. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You know, I asked Gabby if she'd be interested in being on the podcast because of her most recent book, which is called, what would Gabby say? And it's kind of a segue from what we're talking about, because you you mentioned that people really family, friends, the dying person often don't know a lot about what's happening on the journey. And I think one of your big goals as a hospice nurse and an educator is to support people in learning and understanding more. So what would Gabby say is really this this gorgeous collection of questions, and they are real questions that people have asked you. go, Go into telling about how that came about. So I just love that book. Um, If you read the first page, I've dedicated it to my hospice heart page, the community, because they're the ones who inspired it. So I get emails all the time. I get questions. I get messengered. I get all kinds of questions, like the questions that people ask at the end of life, like, what do I do about this? And what does this mean? And and fear, you know, and and those feelings of guilt and regret. And how do I, what do I say to my, my husband? He's dying and I just don't know what to do or to say or... So I started answering the questions and then I realized that there are so many people that, that want those answers. So I started putting it on the Facebook page. Then the question was, you know, what would Gabby say? So I made a whole thing out of it. And then someone says, how do we get your other questions? I'm like, okay, well, and then I started trying to help them find the other questions. And so I decided to put them all in a book. So these are actual questions that somebody has asked me and my answers, which are not I'm not a doctor, I'm not a social worker, I don't pretend to be. So this is my perspective and how I would answer a family member. I I never lie. 
I'm super straightforward. I don't sugarcoat anything. And when someone asks me a question, I, I, I lean in a little closer. I hear them and I answer them the best way I can so that their takeaway is comfort and maybe a little relief, certainly a little more knowledge that allows them to be less fearful, which that is kind of my goal. So that book is all about the community. That's so wonderful. I love just to, just to read a few samples of it. I, I think what I love about the book is that it's it's very accessible. You know, when you're going through something difficult, like someone declining, you don't really want to read a 200 page book that's very theoretical and kind of academic. You know, you just want the information that you need. So some of the um, titles here include, you know, when should we start hospice? What is a death doula? Regrets at the end of life transitioning versus actively dying, hospice, morphine, and death. Hospice is not the boss of you. Difficult deaths. Why do people hold on at the end? Food and water at the end of life. So you can hear just from that quick sampling that, uh, you know, Gabby covers a lot of ground and it comes straight from people's real experience that they ask these questions and her real experience from which she answers. Let's talk a little about your Facebook page because I love your Facebook page. Gabby's Facebook page is called The Hospice Heart and she has uh, over 100,000 followers. Just an enormous number of people are following you. Who's following and what kinds of things do you put up there? Oh, I love this page so much. So I started it in 2019 and I started it because I wanted to have a place to talk about death and dying. You know, as a hospice nurse, um, you know, I, I, I don't think people ask me how my day is because they're afraid I'm going to tell them, you know, and they don't invite me to parties anymore because I'm such a downer, right? I talk about death and then that brings up everybody else's experience with death and everybody's crying around a party. So I get it, but I wanted a, a platform where people could go to talk about it. And so I started, you know, putting some things out there, just sharing stories and I would draw people in and they were mostly... I would say it was mostly just the regular person out there living life who deals with this like we all do. A lot of it was caregivers, you know, the either the family member who's caring for it or somebody, a hired caregiver and, and just what it feels like to provide that work. And then uh, COVID hit and I was sick for 23 days. And so I posted every day what that felt like. And, and you know me, I'm kind of like wanting to bring people together and do better. So I was always talking about how we could reach out to people who are alone. You know, this is a very isolating time. People are struggling. How can we support them? Meanwhile, going through my own COVID symptoms. And, and then people would write, write about what they were going through. And then I realized that there were people who were all alone in their homes and, and they were reaching out because they felt supported. And so it, it kind of evolved. And then over the last two years, it has been mostly people who have a husband or wife or sister or brother who is dying. How do I do this? What do I do? I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm angry. And I just validated their feelings because I get it. And then my brother died, which I made very public on that page because I learned about grief from a different perspective, even though I've lost a lot of people in my life. And this page has grown, you know, it's 105,000 followers. That to me doesn't mean I'm popular. 
right? What that means is there is a lot of people in this world who are having a really tough time. There are people who are grieving that, that don't understand why it doesn't end because grief doesn't end. And there's people who tell people that they should be over it right now, but that's not what you tell someone who's grieving. And then there's people who are taking care of their husband and wife and can't afford a full-time caregiver, right? And they want to honor them by bringing them home, but they don't know how to do it. There are so many people who are given a diagnosis and said, okay, go on hospice, go home. And then what? You know, and, and it makes me sad that we are not a, a more educational society. And I think we're getting there. I think we're talking about it more, which is something all of us in this field are pushing. And that page is a community of human beings who want to be reminded that they're not alone, who want their grief validated, who want tools and information so that they can care for someone who is dying. And at the end of the day, I see myself inspiring other people to do this work. That's like, that's like the sprinkles on the cupcake. It's more people doing this work, more right? More people doing this work with, with just the kind of heart and, and passion that you bring to it, I think is what we all need. I, I always say, it's like, we need a doula in every family yes. who understands what's happening, who, who not just, you know, the thing about end of life work is it's like, you might not have all the answers yourself, but you have to know that there is information out there and you can reach out and get support. I think that caregivers feel so alone and there is, there are so many ways to get information. There's small, easy to read books like yours. There are bigger books, The Art of Dying Well, um, you know, A Beginner's Guide to the End. There are bigger, thicker books. So many great books. There's fantastic websites. There's podcasts. There's, there's a lot of ways to get information. But first, we have to know that we need the information. Acknowledge death is happening or coming or a terminal diagnosis has occurred and get real about that. Oh, absolutely. So I, I recently started a new workshop that I hold once a month. It's called what to expect when you're dying. And my reason for that, it's sort of a takeoff of what to expect when you're, you're um, having a baby, write that book Love it. And, and what to expect when you're expecting. Well, I think about it, right. When you're getting married, there's all these, you know, there's marriage counselors, there's priests that you could go talk to. There's all these people that help you to be a wife or, or maybe even a husband, but there's education out there. There's some tools. When you have a baby, there's all these things out there for you to go through so that you could learn how to, to be a mom and to take care of this child. But when you're given a terminal diagnosis, they say, go on hospice. Then what? So I have created this workshop where and the most of the people that attended are terminal or caring for someone who is. And I talk about hospice. I talk about doulas. I talk about what it's going to feel like, what's available to you. Like hospice isn't just, you know, a care team. Hospice is resources and hospice is supplies and hospital beds and so much more. So on this site, I talk about everything that is available to them, what to expect, how to navigate the dying process and also how to transition from wife to caregiver to widow, right? That's a transition. How can we support people who are caring for someone who is dying? They deserve our care and our attention. They almost become invisible because the focus is on the patient. How can we change that? How can we acknowledge, address, and lift up the people who are providing the care? And, and so that's kind of like where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm heavy on that, that education, that support. 
And also grief. Grief, I just, I feel it deeply with every ounce of my being. And I want to support people who are grieving. You know, I just this morning was was watching a snippet of a movie. And of course, at the moment, the name is escaping me, but it's a documentary about grief. I think it's called Speaking Grief or Speaking Your Grief. Mm-hmm. And the opening scene has all these different people walking on the sidewalk. And after a minute, you realize that every other one of them is wearing a T-shirt with, the, with a roll, like it says brother, or it says um, sister, uncle, friend, or it says daughter. And these are all the people that they've lost. So the opening of this movie is saying we're all carrying grief that's unseen most of the time. And yet, if you look around and if we all wore the T-shirts of the people we're grieving, it would be a really different world. And I thought it was such a cool visual. Um, So I think about that, how we all carry this. And you must see that enormously in your work. Well, I wrote a blog called um, Pancake Grief, which I think I made up, although I, I could be wrong. But for me, in my world, I made it up. And I discovered pancake grief when my brother died and I describe it and I'll give you the short version. So you have this plate, right? When you're born, you're starting with a plate. And when you're a little kid, you might lose a pet or a grandma or a grandpa. And unfortunately, in some cases, a sibling or even a parent. And that starts your plate. And then over your lifetime, the plate is stacked high with pancakes of of other losses, but we aren't really taught how to deal with grief, right? We're taught to kind of stick it down. Don't talk about it. No one wants to hear it. Keep that quiet. So the stack gets higher. And then one day something happens and you lose someone, even though you've lost other people. And that pancake sits on the top of the stack and it knocks it over. And all of a sudden you see all the pancakes all over the table and you realize you never dealt with that before. So many times when someone is going through, whether it's caring for someone who's dying or, or just loving someone who's dying or however that plays out, at that moment, when you say goodbye, you are reminded of all the other goodbyes. And it's heavy and it digs so deep to your soul. And we have to find a way to support people who are going through that because it is not easy. It is not easy. And we are all going through it. And I was, I was so touched when your brother was dying in the spring and you, you really, you really did just, I think you made a deliberate choice to share that in a really public way in order to have that vulnerability be seen so that people would realize, oh, wow, this isn't just something Gabby talks about. This is like, she, she lives her talk. And um, I think it was a really beautiful model for everyone who follows you to see how vulnerable and truthful you were with the good days and the bad days around all of that. Thank you for bringing that up um, and for saying that. I, um, you know, when he first was taken to the hospital and flown in a a helicopter and he had been non-responsive for without oxygen for at least a half an hour, we thought he was going to die. I, I asked the family and we all were in agreement. Do not say a thing. No one knew. I didn't put it on Facebook. I needed to soak it in first. I needed to try it on, feel it, see what it felt like, what it, you know, how it worked with me. Because even though I do this, I've seen a thousand last breaths. It's still a last breath. And it's still a life and it's still the fragility of life and what that means. And, and so I had to kind of work through that first. And then when I was sitting at the bedside 
I had to decide between a hospice nurse and a sister, you know, that was really hard. And, and I realized just like you were saying about that documentary, we all wear the shirt. We just have different titles. And I decided to put it out there, the good, the bad, the ugly, the moments, right? How precious one moment where he woke up and he told me he loved me, like that was huge. And when he died, at least I was there to say goodbye. I was there when he took his first breath. I was there when he took his last. And I've lost my parents, my grandparents, my sister. I've lost friends. And this death, my brother's death, it was complicated. It was anticipatory. I mean, there was all of those emotions that you feel when someone you love is dying. And I wanted to put it out there because I needed help. And I wanted people to know that it's okay to say you need help. It's okay. Yeah. And how much we need to grieve in community, whether it's the immediate family or the dear friends or the larger community or your Facebook people, because that was important to share that. Um, again, not because you're popular, because it's a human experience. I I think it's a real gift to have almost like the eloquence and the gutsiness to share that kind of vulnerability. It gives permission to people. And it's so important. It's such an important place of leadership, really. It's like we need leaders and how to grieve and how to do death in a more um, human, like human way. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was going to say. Do death in a more human way. Because we are humans and, and we have feelings and we are fragile and some days we're strong and sometimes we're not and, and things hurt us deeply. And if we were a little more open and honest about that, a little more sensitive, a little less judgmental, um, I think that we would offer one another a support that could help us all navigate life a little easier and perhaps savor the moments in a more beautiful way which I'm learning to do, you know, I see death every single day and still death startles me. Boy, that is really well put. I was thinking too, Gabby, go back to um, the class, this what to expect when you're dying. How has that been received? What do people think of it? Uh, Well, I've only done two so far. Uh, My next one is this month. Um, I think that for the caregiver of the terminal patient, I think they're the ones who have the takeaway because I hand them over all my tools. You know, I I don't wanna be a tool hoarder, right? It's not doing me any good to keep it all a secret. I want to share them. I don't have a problem with that. And, And I think that they're the ones who take away with it most. And then after the classes, I always hear back from them, like, thank you so much for this. And I am still hearing from them. I will still get an email that says, you know, this is happening now, what do I do? And I have, heard from patients who were going through their journey. And, and I just lost one. And these are all through emails and I'm still there for them. Sometimes I'll have private zooms with them and help them to navigate what it's like to, to say goodbye, whether it's you who is dying or you at the bedside. And, and I think that's what I'm doing. I'm handing tools over to anyone who is saying goodbye, however that looks for you, you know, and how we can do it in a more compassionate, gentle way Mm -hmm. so that the human being is respected and cared for well, that when they die, they take with them that they mattered. And and when you say goodbye to someone, you take with them, I did well, I cared for them well. 
I think people need to take that with them. Mm, beautiful. What, what do you find it most gratifying about this work? Um, I think that moment when someone is sitting at the bedside and I've handed them the tools so that they do the work, I step back. It's not about me. I hand them the tools and then I watch them do this beautiful work for someone they love in the most compassionate way. And I think to myself, you did so well, you did so well. Mm. And, and after they have died, if I'm not there, you know, if I never see them again, I always send them a message and I say, you honored them so well. I am so proud of them. And I am so touched that they took that, that stuff that I gave them and they provided such beautiful care. I think that's when I feel the most full of gratitude to be able to be in a position where I can help ease someone's suffering, where I can help ease the difficulty of saying goodbye and where I can help ease the transition to grief. I, I find that really fulfilling. Really fulfilling. Well, thank you so much, Gabby. I just think, you know, what would Gabby say can kind of um, ring through our our hearts and minds as we think about, you know, what would Gabby say or what would Gabby do in terms of this bringing ease to a situation? So how can people find out more about you? Uh, well, they could go to my website, which is the hospiceheart.net. On my, on, on my website is class information, all the classes I teach the best three months, which you're familiar with. I do two ritual and ceremony classes, one that focuses on grief and one that focuses on forgiveness of self and others. I do the what to expect when you're dying. And I have um, all my blogs and even some of my poems. I'm sort of an amateur poet. poet poet. And I have all my podcasts, all the interviews that I've done, which are from so many amazing people and with so many amazing people. So it's not just about me, it's about the tools and information and education that all of them are, you know, it's available and it's free. Yeah. And um, in my books, you know, I've written four books. So that's on there as well. It's a, it's a really good space to go to for all of it. And there's even at the end of the um, of this choices on that page, there's one that says end of life tips. And that's just some common things that happen at the end of life. And all of that is just free. Go there, take whatever you want. It's yours. Fantastic. So that's the hospiceheart.net. And I go back to how, um, think about how, you know, for listeners, think about how you take in information, where you want to get information and go for it. There's a lot of good information. You can be well supported wherever your journey is taking you. Well, thanks so much, Gabby. Thank you uh, for having me. Again, you can find out about Gabby at thehospiceheart.net, and you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. You've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you.